0: and it's coming straight for where you live. That's a danger. And it's kind of like that with this coronavirus is we can see the map, we can watch the numbers, we can watch how darker and darker, we can watch how the map spreads, we can watch that our state gets darker and darker, but... I want you to think about what danger really means and what our reaction is. There is a time when Jesus was in danger. And, of course, it's the time when he lived his life here, but it gets toward the end of his life. He spent three and a half years training disciples. He spent three and a half years being able to teach with with some of the people and being able to have them follow Him. And and they were so excited to do that at first. They saw the the miracles that He did. They heard the teaching that He did. And it was just amazing for them. And they watched as, as He was able to heal so many people. But then the Pharisees and scribes and the Sadducees all came and started to argue with Him. And they didn't like what He was saying. They didn't like His interpretation of law. They thought He was wrong in what he was saying, and so the Jewish leaders were against Jesus. They didn't like what he said at all, and so they thought he was a troublemaker. They thought he was such a troublemaker that they wanted to kill him. They wanted to do away with him, and he was. He knew that they were looking for him. Just before the last week, he had healed Lazarus. Of course, that's right in their face. I mean, here he is healing a dead man. How are they going to get around that one? And so he knew it was dangerous. He knew, and yet he went to Jerusalem anyway. He knew that there was a plot against him. He probably knew that they had offered money. He knew one of his disciples would betray him. What's it like when somebody gets mad at you? They don't like you anymore. They don't trust you anymore. They don't want anything to do with you anymore. I think that's what Jesus felt as he experienced those things. He was being rejected by the people. They didn't understand his teaching. They didn't understand what was going on. And as Jesus felt this time coming, he knew his time was up. That he had spent as long as he needed to. He had been more bold with the leaders. He had told them more things and he had been more confrontational with them. And they didn't like him there. And they had plans to eliminate him. They had eaten the Passover on that last night. He had given them the Lord's Supper. The same one that we just took. The same one that we still partake of. And as he had given them that last supper, he had gone out to a place they had been many times. It was the Garden of Gethsemane. It was such a beautiful place then. It was a time when he was able to see those things. But in the daytime, it, it always looks good, doesn't it? In the daytime, it looks great. And as you think about that, he there are some of the olive trees there that are huge. They're they date back about to the time of Jesus. We don't know if one of those was where he sat or not. It was a dangerous time. And it was one that, that he had to deal with. So what do you do when you're in danger? Do you run away? Do you defend yourself? Do you, what do you do? Well, it's hard to run away from a hurricane, so we board up. You know what Jesus does? Jesus prays. And here's the situation. It's in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. It says, when Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he again said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, they fell on. he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. Again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See that the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus goes to the garden to pray. He takes eight of them and leaves them at one certain spot and says, I want you to sit here and pray. And he takes three others with him, Peter, James and John, and takes them over a little bit further. And as he takes them further, he changes in how he feels. The garden that had been such a nice, beautiful place before was no longer like that. Now it was night. And in the night, it looks different than what it did before. And he begins to tell them about how he feels. He begins to tell them about the sorrow that he feels inside. He begins to tell them about how his soul is distressed, not just that he's sad over some event but that his very soul is distressed and that he feels as if he's about to die because he is. His soul has sorrow and he asks them to watch and pray. Isn't that what we do when we are very distressed about something? We ask someone to watch and pray with us. We let them know so that they are able to pray to God as well. And he wants them to pray. What are they watching for? Watching for temptation Maybe watching for Judas as he comes up the hill. It's not really told, but maybe watch for themselves and what's about to happen to them. And then he gives his prayer. And yes, we do have to face God in prayer. It is a time when we come face to face with God to be honest with God. And that's what he's come for. And he says, Father, if it's possible... Let this cup pass. He doesn't want to. He knows it's coming. He knows it's been planned. But he doesn't want to. He knows it's God's will. He knows it's logical. He knows it's what they have seen from the very beginning. He knows it brings about salvation. He knows that it is the future of Christianity. And without that death that he's about to take, we have no hope. And yet, he doesn't want to. And so he asks for it not to happen. Let this cup pass. And there's no immediate answer. But God hears. And then he says, not my will, but yours be done. He can say whatever he wants, but he allows the will of God to be the most important. He gives in to the will of God. Luke tells us that his sweat becomes like drops of blood. He is so upset and so overcome that he's in agony as he realizes what it's about to take and what he's about to have to go through. You can see the anguish on his face and the disciples are... Over, and they're not really paying attention. Have you ever felt alone in times like that, like you're going through it all by yourself? Have you ever prayed as hard as what Jesus prayed? Have you ever prayed till you bleed? I think most of us can say, No, we haven't done that. It's hard for us to even have a serious prayer other than thank you for the food. But you can see the danger right there for him. As he expresses what this is all about, that this is coming, he knows it's going to be there. He has less than 24 hours and it will all take place. He comes back to find his disciples sleeping. They had been to the garden many times, and so it was a routine for them now. And since it was a routine for them now, it seems as if, well, I don't really have to. I mean, it, the prayer's a prayer. It's a prayer. We get used to them, don't we? We use the same phrases and the same language. And if it goes on for too long, it's really hard to keep your attention on it. And so you start thinking about other things. And it's been late. It's been a long day. And so, yeah, those are just our excuses. They've fallen asleep. They aren't watching. They aren't praying. The rest of the world is about to be against Jesus. And the three closest friends he has are asleep. He comes back and says, couldn't you pray for one hour? Well, I wonder if he asked us that. Couldn't you pray for one hour? I don't know how long your prayers usually last. But I'll just go ahead and confess my prayers don't usually last an hour. But that's what Jesus says. Couldn't you pray for just one hour? And maybe he spends an hour each time. They aren't much support. He says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so he recognizes and understands that they may not be able to pray for one hour. And he gives them some grace there. What happens when you ask someone to pray? Do they pray? We usually don't know. And we hope that they do, and perhaps they do. But it's the last thing Jesus does on his own. He prays. When Jesus faces danger, he prays. He's about to be taken captive and led away, and he will no longer have free will of his own at all. And the very last thing he does is ask someone to pray with him. But when we don't see the circumstance or realize the danger, we just let it go. He goes away and prays a second time saying the same thing. He's already asked that. In fact, he lets it happen three times. He wakes them, but then he goes back to pray and he understands that they cannot stay awake. And then he comes back after the third time and said, It's time. The betrayer is at hand. Jesus is not running away. In fact, he goes toward the betrayer, he knows what's coming. He knows who it is and he walks right toward him and he takes them with him. He wakes them up in order to experience and be aware of the betrayal. They will see it all, ready or not. And that's the kind of prayer we see Jesus offering in times of danger and distress. I hope we don't have that many times. It's very different from the model prayer. And let me suggest to you that you don't just have one prayer memorized and therefore that's the only one you know to say. And so you say it whenever you need to pray. And whether there's food or not, it's, you know, about food. And you no, know, have more prayers than that. In fact, there is a model prayer that Jesus gives in Matthew 6. And he says, pray then like this. And this one seems very different. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The prayer before disaster is very different than this one. And that's the model prayer that he gives. I want you to pray like this. And the first three things that he asks were about God. The last three things that he asks were about us. Always God seems to go first. The first thing he does is honor God. The second thing he does is pray about his kingdom. The third thing he does is ask for God's will to be done. And, of course, that would include us doing his will as we offer this kind of prayer. And then he turns to us and says, give us daily bread Forgive us when we sin as we forgive others. And then the last thing he says is, Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And it's that last line that he offers that is the prayer of distress. Deliver us from evil. And so that's the prayer Jesus has prayed. That's where we see Jesus coming in. That's where we see this prayer being very personal for him. Because it's going to be right now. I want prayer to be the first thing that we do. Whether there's a disaster or not. But especially as we face a disaster. And especially when we ask God to deliver us from evil. I want us to be able to pray first of all. Before anything else. It may not be a prayer to fix it. It may be just be a prayer for God to be with us. We can ask without expectation that it's really going to make a difference. I don't think Jesus had the expectation that God was literally going to say, okay, it's all right. You don't have to. But he can say it in the prayer anyway. And he can express those things to God. It isn't unbelief. It's just understanding where you are. Prayer is when we tell God what we believe what we see he's doing, the way in which we see he's operating and the things that we see around the people around us about the mission of God. Prayer is when we tell what we are willing to do. And certainly Jesus does that. How much we're a part of his plan, how much we're a part of what he wants. We tell him what we will do and we say your will be done. We tell God who we are. We tell them about our hurts and our failures. We tell them about our sins. We tell them about our wishes and our wants. We tell them about everything and we let God answer however God wants to answer. It's also a place where we can confess. We can confess that we don't want to. I don't like this. I don't want to have to do this. And we can say what's personal to us. We can confess our sin to God. We can confess our fear to God. And Jesus is able to say, I don't want to die. And even though he knows it is what's going to happen, he doesn't say he's scared. He just says, if there's a way, let it pass. I saw this. Danger and prayer go together. Never was anything great achieved without danger. Where we have danger, we need prayer. And I suggest to you that prayer makes risk. Please don't pray for something that doesn't have a risk. If it isn't something that's going to be hard, if it isn't something that's going to be a little bit difficult and a little bit risky, then we're asking something that is too small. We need to pray big prayers for God. Prayers when you're in danger, for when danger can even be long past and you're in prison, or maybe when prison is long past and you're about to die. prayers telling God will do what he wants, no matter what happens. The writer of Hebrews describes what Jesus was like also in Hebrews chapter five he says in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to Save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he had suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to those who obey him, and being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so he says, In the days of his flesh, it's the time when Jesus was here on earth, those days were different than other days. Jesus had been in heaven. He was the Word of God. He was the thought and reason of God, the Logos. And we see Him taking part. But He offered prayers when He was here. But not just prayers. The writer of Hebrews describes more of the agony. He offered prayers with loud cries and tears. Have you ever fallen asleep to somebody crying? It's really hard to do, isn't it? And yet the disciples must have done that as He had loud cries and tears in the garden and they still fell asleep. That's what they heard. He offered prayers to the one who could save him. Who could save him. And yet there was a greater purpose in mind. And I think maybe this statement fits with what Jesus was doing We have to pray with our eyes on God, not on the difficulties. Not on what we have to go through. Not on the suffering we're about to take. The passage in Hebrews also says he was heard because of his reverence. His respect for God, how he approached God. It was not blame or accusation or God, why did you do this? God, you allowed Absolutely God allowed. Absolutely God planned for His disaster. And we don't ever look at it that way. We don't ever bring in the idea that God could have a plan for what goes on. And yet I think we need to deal with that. Put your eyes on God. Jesus was heard. And I think that's one of the most important things. Because God hears prayer. It isn't as if God didn't care. It was respect and reverence that Jesus offered to God of all. What else do we expect except to be heard? Isn't that what's most important? That God hears when you talk. And it matters. I think it may be like this situation. I'm talking, but I can't tell that anybody else is listening. The only thing I see is empty pews. I don't see anybody else around. Okay, there's four people, five. That's it. We're under the limit. But is anybody else really out there? Do your prayers feel like that sometime? Does it feel like there's nobody else there? And yet you know exactly I am talking to you. You know I'm sitting right in front of you. And I'm speaking directly to you. And I want you to get that vision in your head when you think about God. That's how God is. And maybe you don't see God, but He is right there as you talk to Him. He has that same view of you talking to Him. And those prayers make a difference. And God listens. It says Jesus learned obedience through what He suffered. He had all knowledge before He knew everything, and now He knows by experience what it's like to be human, to suffer for something greater. We're going to talk about that next week. He became the source of eternal salvation because His prayer was answered. It's answered in a different way. It's answered with God's purpose. It's answered with God's will. It's answered with our salvation. But it's a very different answer. And yet I think it's the answer Jesus wanted. Even though he didn't want to have to go through it. As he sits at the right hand of God in glory right now. I'm sure he feels that prayer was answered. That God heard. And so in the face of danger. We pray. That's really what it's about. And God hears. Most of us are not facing death like Jesus. We are not alone, even if we're isolated. We have all kinds of ways to get in touch with people. He was alone in the garden and he felt isolated. It's time to pray. It's time to pray hard. And we do need to keep in touch with people that we know. And we do need to reach out to them. And I don't ever want you to feel alone, but I want you to realize that God hears. He's not busy. He doesn't get a wrong number. God hears. Yes, there is a danger. But in the face of danger, we pray. Because that's what Jesus did. And God hears prayers. And so what are you going to ask Him? What would you say to Him? Who will you pray about? What will it change? Your response today is to pray. And I want you to pray this whole week as you think about God listening to you. We have one of our elders here today who's going to offer a prayer for us, Chuck Watts. I want you to leave room for praise. Sometimes we think about distress and our prayer becomes all about distress. But I want you to leave room for praise. I want you to realize that we have great things. It's a way to communicate with God. And God will hear. So what do you have to ask Him? Chuck, would you come and lead a prayer for everyone who's watching?
1: Do you bow with me, please, as we pray? Our glorious Father in heaven, as we approach your throne, I'm reminded of the life of Esther, where she literally took her life in her hands to approach the king of that land because she was not invited to the throne. But the part that I find wonderful about that memory of Scripture is that we know you have invited us. To your throne, not just the king of a nation or the king of the world, but the king of all heaven and earth. And not only are we invited, but encouraged to come before your throne. So we do that today. Help us, Father, to not be lost in the magnificence of that gift, but to be fully aware of how tremendous it is that you allow us to come before you and bring our cares and concerns and our praise. Directly to you. Help us, Father, in this difficult time when our world is going through trials. And help us to remember that trials are permitted so that we may learn lessons and grow and produce endurance. Help us as mankind to learn those lessons. I'm aware, Father, of many people who have mentioned to me in past days of the blessings they have seen and that they have recognized and returned to you. So there are good things coming at this time. Help us, Father, to remember your word and the many different lessons that are placed before us, things that we should remember in these difficult times. Help us to remember to take advantage of the opportunities we have That are placed before us. When your servant David wrote in Psalm 46 and verse 10. And told us your thoughts of telling us to be still. And know that you are God. Help us during this time of stillness. To take that opportunity. To reflect on your greatness. To meditate on your word. And to grow spiritually. As that opportunity presents itself. Father I ask that you bless. This congregation of your people. And bless your people throughout the world. We turn to you. Because we finally recognize. We are helpless. Not only just in this world. But lost in our sins without you. Without the blood of Christ. Please protect us. Watch over us, guide us, bless us with wisdom and strength and courage, and help us to be powerful people in this world for you, to shine that light so that others can see where the source of comfort and peace and strength resides, and that is in you. We thank you so much for the strength that Jesus showed as he approached his death As we clearly see, he did not want to go through that, but he left his life and our salvation in your hands. And we are grateful. Help us, Father, to do the same, to turn to you, express our concerns, our wishes, and our hopes. But in in the end, we leave it to your will for the things that happen in our lives. Because you've told us that you work all things together for good to those that love the Lord. And we will trust in you that those things will work for our good. And we will go through the difficult times and come out on the other end, your glorious people. The victors in Christ. The warriors of salvation to the world. Help us, Father, to be all the things that you would want us to be as your people. And it's through Jesus that we pray all these things. Amen.